everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Today, I am speaking with Eki Tepsipornchai. He is the pastor of Western Avenue Baptist Church in Brawley, and he has a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science and Engineering and a Master's of Divinity from the Master's Seminary. And he wouldn't tell you this, but I happen to know that he won the Preacher of the Year Award, I think, (laughs) his last year in seminary. And he happens to be my favorite preacher. I said it out loud, Eki. I said it for all the world to hear. But it's absolutely true. (laughs) He is so gifted in his ability to present God's word clearly with great insight. He draws in the history He draws out the profound truths, and he's so encouraging in his sermons as well. And he and his wife, Alice, are dear friends of ours, and I am so happy to have him speaking today about technology and censorship. This is a hot button. It is very concerning to us as believers, and we are just going to dive in. I know he has a lot of good information for us. So I just wanted to start, Eki, with a little bit of your testimony and including uh, your background, of course, as a computer tech guy. Yeah, so I I was saved uh, much later in life. And and by the way, a quick clarification, it wasn't a Preacher of the Year award. It was just a preaching award. So so just so everyone knows that, Bill Shannon is the one that uh, keeps saying Preacher of the Year, and that's not what it's called. But anyway, yes, I was was saved much later in life. I was a career professional working in the area of technology. As you mentioned, I got a computer science degree from UCLA back in 1995. And it was actually during that time when I was at UCLA that I was first exposed to John MacArthur and Grace Community Church. Um, I had made a verbal profession of faith elsewhere prior to coming to Grace Community Church, and I would go to Grace Community Church um, somewhat regularly until I had graduated in 1995. And then from 1995 all the way till 2006, I called myself a Christian, but did not walk like a Christian. I didn't care about church. I wasn't in prayer. I wasn't in the word. I didn't know what God's will was. I just had an intellectual understanding of the gospel itself. And so I would just say, yeah, Jesus Christ died for my sins. Well, it was around 2005 that some humbling circumstances came into my life. Um, I was challenged, I believe, by the prompting of the spirit to really consider what it means that I'm a Christian. And so then in 2006, I decided to go back to church. But uh, interestingly enough, I didn't want to go to Grace Community Church because I knew how, uh, how upfront and really kind of in your face the doctrine was at Grace Community Church. And I wasn't comfortable walking into that kind of environment. I wanted to go someplace else where it was a little bit more contemporary. It was a little bit less kind of confrontational. And so I started going to some seeker-sensitive churches. I did that <clears throat> for many weeks before coming to the conclusion that I was had made no progress in my understanding of God's will and His Word. And so I thought at that time, you know what, I don't even know if John MacArthur is still alive. Um, but if he is, I want to go back and sit under his teaching. So I came back to Grace Community Church that year, started attending a Fundamentals of the Faith class. And then by the grace of God, um, really in the, at the start of 2007, um, that's when I could identify the earliest fruit. It was at the start of 2007 that that God changed my heart. And so 2007, I, I, I was just filled with this desire to want to serve God. And 2010 is when I started seminary um, three years later. And really 2007, okay, so 2007, I was saved. 2008, I met Alice um, over eHarmony. So we're an eHarmony couple. 
So right. very fitting that a tech person would meet his wife over internet. <laughs> and then 2009, we were married. And then 2010 is when I started seminary. And then I attended seminary from 2010 to 2016. And the award that you mentioned, um, I received that in 2016. And then after that, I continued to serve at Grace Church for a few years until being called here at, um, at Western Avenue Baptist Church. What I would add on top of that is that I was saved while taking fundamentals of the faith, but I was never convicted at any time that I was a false believer. God changed my heart anyway. And it wasn't until I started to learn about, um, about lordship salvation and, and the fruit of the spirit that I was able to look back at my life and realize that up until 2007, I really wasn't saved. So that's my testimony in a nutshell. Thank you so much for that. And Chris and I were married in 2008. So I know that you and Alice, we kind of share the same amount of married time and anniversary. Yeah. So I wanted to just read, actually, because I thought you wrote this so well. I wanted to read this post that you posted on Facebook. Yes. And then if you could just kind of elaborate on that a little bit more for your layperson, that would be great. So what you said is Amazon is shutting down Parler. How is that possible? Many of you who are outside the tech world do not realize how far-reaching Amazon's footprint is. Every major company, and even many small and medium ones, has to operate their own set of server hardware and software. For a long time, companies did that, this physically on their own premises. However, over the last 10 years, there has been a major shift to online hosting or cloud hosting, where a third party does this work from their own data centers, reducing the need for the company to worry about hardware, personnel, real estate, HVAC, et cetera, since it's all covered by the provider. As a cloud hosting provider to corporate America, Amazon has commanded a massive market share that has left Google, Microsoft, and IBM scrambling and playing catch-up year after year. They also provide the servers and storage to many online consumer services, such as Parler. Well, now we know that Amazon is in league with Facebook, Twitter, Apple, and Google in the same tech censorship that seeks to silence dissenting voices and opinions. This is where we are headed, and the church is not far behind. Brace yourself. So... If you could expound on that a little bit and explain why this is so massive and potentially destructive. And just before you do that, I found this and I found it really sort of interesting, Eki, on Wikipedia. I just went on Google and because I'm not on Parler yet, but I'd like to be. And this is how they define Parler. Parler has a significant user base of Donald Trump supporters, conservatives, <laughs> conspiracy theorists, and right-wing extremists. Posts on the service often contain far-right, anti-Semitism and conspiracy theories such as QAnon. And I'm not saying that there might be some of those things on there. Oh, absolutely. The fact yeah. that that's how they present Parler is just astonishing what, what they're doing and the wording that they're using to try right. to, like we're talking about, just completely suppress the, the conservative or Christian voice. So... Yeah, and, and we're living in an age where a lot of terms are getting redefined. So what you observed there when you looked up Parler... Basically, any platform that supports free speech is now being presented as alt-right, uh, Trump supporters, uh, you, you know, th all conspiracy theory supporters, when really anyone is free to sign up for those services. Uh, but people prefer to stay on Facebook and Twitter if you're on the left because you're not even exposed to dissenting opinions. And, and this is really kind of the culture today, and tech is starting to play a big role in this. Now, when we think about tech development, we can go back to, I think it was 2000, 
I want to say it was 2007 when the iPhone first came out. Hmm. Um, and so if you think about just in 13 years, how far we've come, because prior to 2007, if you remember this, the trend of smartphones, the trend of our cell phones, our mobile phones, I should say, was that they were getting smaller and smaller, thinner and thinner. Mm-hmm. You remember the um, Motorola Razor? Um, the yes. Motorola Razor had a tiny little screen, but everyone wanted it because it was so thin and you can just slip it into your pocket. And so that was the trend, making devices smaller and smaller. Well, the iPhone reversed that trend because the iPhone was the first time that on your mobile phone, it felt like you had a computer in your hand, that the graphics were big and beautiful. And, and if you were to look at the size of the original iPhone, it's actually much, much smaller than the smartphones we have today. So devices have gotten bigger and bigger because people want to make use of that screen real estate for all their applications. And with the explosion of the iPhone and tablets, you know, and obviously the competitor is the Android, Android devices from Google. With the explosion of these devices now, people have started to consume more and more social media. So at that time, back in, I would say the late 1990s, I worked for a company called GeoCities. GeoCities was like one of the first social media companies out there. You build your own web page and your communities. And then after GeoCities, it was a company called MySpace. If you remember MySpace. I do. I do. <clears throat> that was a very, very popular offering. Um, but then Facebook really took off. And I don't know the exact time frame, but I would venture to guess that the mobile apps that supported Facebook was a big part of its explosion. So people, everyone was getting on Facebook. We were connecting with all of our old friends. And not only that, but Facebook started to create partnerships with a bunch of other online services. So you'll notice that a lot of times when you sign up for a new internet service, it'll give you the option of signing on using Facebook, right? right. Sign on with your Facebook account. Right. And that was convenient. We all, a lot of us did it. I did it. And, and we all did that. But the problem was what we didn't realize is that the more we did that, the more information Facebook was able to gather about you, you know, right. so now they've got their hooks in, into everything. So we, we started to see tech censorship on a massive level. I would say this past year, with COVID coming up and, and the elections uh, coming up and whatnot. And, and so Facebook started to, do, to, started to determine for its audience what they can and can't read. Um, so articles that came in that supported a certain view or a certain narrative were not allowed, but articles that supported the narrative that they wanted to support were allowed. And then it was very uneven the way it was handled. So they would, they would for instance, um, shut out right-wing voices that said, for instance, that abortion is murder, you know, but if someone on the left side was, uh, was talking about um, violence against police, that was, for instance, allowed. And I saw that on, on many cases. So Facebook was doing that. Twitter was doing that. And, and we know that there was a lot of instances, and I won't go through them all, but so many instances of news that was favorable to Trump, that was true, that was not allowed. And so many, so many news bits that were unfavorable to him or untrue that were allowed. Right. And so we, for a while, we knew that Facebook and Twitter was doing this. Well, following the election and following the results, what happened with Parler is um, Parler was this alternative site to Twitter. So a lot of Twitter users that were getting frustrated by the fact that, you know, Donald Trump even just sending out a simple tweet. So for instance, um, on January 6th, when we had that violence at the Capitol, Donald Trump actually tweeted out a video calling for peace. And Twitter actually restricted the uh, restricted that video. People could see it, um, but they couldn't share it quite as easily. So that was an example of like, okay, why are you restricting that? I don't understand. Um, and then Amazon, as you mentioned, you read from that article. I've, I've been in corporate America 
and people don't realize this, but Amazon in corporate America is a giant in that space that you were talking about running their own data centers for other companies, which provides a very valuable proposition to, to companies because they don't have to spend as much on their own staff, hardware, all that kinds of stuff. They are just kicking the pants off of typically major enterprise companies like IBM and Google and Microsoft who are, who don't even come close. I mean, even put together, I think they wouldn't even equal the market share that Amazon has in the corporate space. Wow. So I was, I was looking at that space and looking at Amazon and I'm thinking Amazon hasn't really joined in the censorship, but they had the potential to do so. And then Parler ended up being that trigger. Parler, um, because everyone was moving off to Parler. First, it was Apple blocking them from the App Store, Google blocking them from the App Store. And then immediately Amazon jumped in and said, well, we actually host Parler. Um, they run their servers on our premises. They run their software on our premises. And we're deciding that we're going to jump in too, and we're just going to kick them off. And they really just gave them 24 hours. Said 24 hours, we're going to kick you off. Since then, Parler has filed a suit against them, but they weren't able to, to win it. And, and so we know that now Amazon's in league with these other major tech companies. Initially, it was Facebook and, and Twitter, but we know now that Apple's not allowing Parler on, um, Google's not allowing Parler on, and now Amazon has made it impossible for them to even run services. So prior to that, if it was only Apple and Google that prevented you from downloading their app, you could still get to their website. But now with Amazon pulling out support, you can't even get to their website. Now, since then, they've, they're trying to set up with, um, with another provider, but it's going to take time for them to get back to that point. So really, they're all joining together to really control the information that you can see. Right. I, I've never seen anything like it, honestly. And this, yeah. just this, they're determined to, like you said, silence any dissenting voice. And then, you know, now I hear from somebody on CNN, for instance, claiming that like Newsmax and OAN should be removed from the air. Right. So that's right. also coming down the pike. And I think it's just fascinating to me because on, on regular, you just turn on regular television and you, you know, there's soft porn. You could right. subscribe to a channel and get hardcore Yep. And all they're worried about are conservative voices. We've got to get them off. They're dangerous. None of this other stuff is dangerous. It's yep. just so twisted. And I'm, right. I, you know, I can't believe, I can believe it, but I can't believe it. But how should Christians interpret what's happening uh, in this whole realm as yeah. it relates, I think, to, you know, the political landscape and what's yeah. happening kind of in the, in the last days, I'm just seeing some puzzle pieces that are falling into place globally, because that's a huge part of it. Global right. takeover, technology, technological takeover, and then how that will play into say the rise of the antichrist that hopefully we will not see because the church will be raptured out. That's what we're hoping for. But how do you see some of those things happening? Right well, now? any, any time you've got evil involved and they're trying to assert more and more influence. It's always going to be by control. Um, so what we're seeing is basically one side trying to control the entire narrative. Now, on one hand, and this is what I told my church last year, it is almost impossible just by watching the news. And even if you're watching OAN and Newsmax, and on the other hand, also watching CNN and MSNBC or whatever channels you might be watching, it is almost impossible to determine who's telling the truth and who's not. Right. Right. And QAnon, QAnon has been uh, a lot of a lot of um, complaints and and concerns have been raised about QAnon, and, and rightly so. They they 
build up some crazy conspiracy theories as well that people can get lost in. And, and they, they're very much into this kind of visions movement. So a lot of profits having visions and, and people buying into that. And, and partly I would say that the left is to blame for the creation of a group like QAnon because they're censoring out alternative voices. They're censoring out dissenting voices. So right. whenever you do that, whether it's on the media or whether it's on a social media platform, you're going to create this alternative. Now for us as Christians, um, it's difficult for us to know for certain what is the truth, but you will start to see signs. Like for instance, I don't know if you saw this, but just yesterday, the American Journal of Medicine published finally that hydroxychloroquine is a viable treatment option for COVID patients. Wow. Now, if you have been following this all throughout 2020, you know that there were a group of frontline, they called themselves frontline doctors that were going place to place, trying to let people know that hydroxychloroquine is cheap and effective treatment if you catch it in early phase um, COVID. In fact, my wife and I, Alice and I both got COVID last late last year at the beginning of December. We were treated locally by the local doctors who have been administering hydroxychloroquine throughout the year. But everywhere they go, their voice gets censored, their voice gets shut down. And these group of doctors, including Dr. Simone Gold, who is fantastic if you ever get a chance to listen to her, right. uh, but they've been demonized um, by the media. They've been demonized by other doctors. Um, they've, their, their voices have been drowned out. And, and a lot of this is blamed on Trump. And now right after the inauguration, Joe Biden takes over. And then suddenly the exact same treatment that the doctors have been prescribing last year that have been trying to push hydroxychloroquine was published in the American Journal of Medicine saying this is okay now. And there was another medication called ivermectin, also very, um, very effective. That was finally recognized by the World Health Organization earlier this month. And so sometimes if you just read the storylines and, and, and just ask yourself, does this make sense? Right. You know, one day before the inauguration, NPR had published that the rise of COVID was at an all-time high and that deaths had reached 400,000, that the rise was at an all-time high. So it was painting this really ugly scenario. Then two days later, a day after the inauguration, NPR published an article saying that the, we've gone beyond the peak. It's already peaked. So now we can, we can breathe the sigh of relief because it has peaked and now things are getting better. And if you look at CNN, CNN, all of 2020 would have their COVID death tracker, right? Right, right there right. on the screen. You bet. And, and the moment Joe Biden was inaugurated, they took it off the we screen. Took it off. Right. And, and so, I mean, I, you know, regardless of what you feel about Trump, regardless of what you feel about these storylines, you know, sometimes just, just ask yourself, does this make sense? Does this really explain what, what's going on? But Ultimately, for us as Christians, um, we want to hold firm to the word of God because right. the, the Bible tells us that things are going to get worse. And, and so when we don't know for certain that the Antichrist is coming. You know, sometimes we get caught up with revelation and trying to match the events with revelation with things that are going on around us. I think certainly what we're seeing in terms of the control they're trying to assert, um, that's going to be something that we'll see in the end times when the Antichrist right. arises and all that. But at the same time, we've also seen this in history. I mean, I, my wife and I spent some time in China before the persecution of Christians was starting to escalate. And China basically is operating the way that America is headed towards. You know, so in China, there's a state church and there's a true church. You're a state church as long as you acknowledge that your highest authority is not God, but the Chinese Communist Party. And so that, that's the difference. And obviously, that's, that's a huge difference. 
but that's that's the direction we're headed in. And that's what I thought too. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought about that and what's happening in China, <clears throat> that that makes total sense. And it seems like the, you know, I was thinking about this, not all conservatives are Christians, but most Christians are are conservative because we, the, you know, the platform that we align with is biblical principles, yeah. pro-life, pro-liberty, personal freedoms, accountability, pro-family as God designed it, et cetera. So the undercurrent of this that I, I think about is really that it seems like, you know, it's satanic in origin that demonic forces are behind silencing because the end game is the suppression of God's word, like you're right. talking about in right. China. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And, you know, sometimes we get caught up in talking about constitutional rights and someone, a Christian, will challenge me, okay, well, where does it say in the Bible that we need to uphold our constitutional rights? Well, obviously, you're not going to find it there because the Constitution was created uh, much later than than the Bible was. But the Bible does depend upon the ability to be able to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim God's truth. So, for instance, when Paul tells Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season, well, clearly we're in a time where the word is out of season. Um, But what are we called to do as ministers? We're called to preach the word. And what are each and every Christian, uh, all Christians called to do? They're called to make disciples of all the nations, which starts with evangelizing. And so the idea there, you can't do that without risking persecution um, unless there's free speech, unless free speech is allowed. And here's the thing. It's like, and you know this, I know this, we share the gospel with people and they have the option of just saying, you know what? I don't want to hear this. They have the option of saying, I don't believe you. They have the option of saying, you know what? Um, please don't bring this up again. And I'm going and, and, or they have the option of telling you why they disagree, right? I mean, so they have the option of rejecting it, silence, you know, or just just turning around and, and walking away. Um, and there's nothing that we're going to do about it. We're not going to inflict violence upon them. We're not going to bring persecution upon them. Uh, but we're living in a day and age now where disagreement is being equated to violence. And this right. is part of the redefinition of terms. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, speaking out about homosexuality, the Bible is very clear that homosexuality is a sin. Romans chapter one, verses 18 to 32 really shows the deviancy that's involved with homosexuality and lesbianism, right? Right. Um, so we, we know that that's there. But now to say that is now not only considered um, a, you know, presenting a, an idea or an opinion or really biblical fact that they would disagree with, but now it's being presented as hate speech. And right. people want to take that further. It's not just hate speech, but it's violence right. when it's actually not violent. So we're getting these red redefinition of terms to try to demonize anyone who has an opinion that is different than where the left is headed. Right. Um, yeah. So here we are as, as believers feeling kind of like uh, we're going to go old school, Eki. What kind of alternative do we have in communication as that continues to, to ramp up? Um, I, I feel like I was talking to somebody the other day, we're going to have to go back to handwritten letters, you yeah. phone calls, right. and then I was, you know, smoke signals. Right. But one of the things that I, I find really encouraging, you know, you look at the old, the old Testament, and I was just reading about Rahab again, when mm-hmm. the spies were sent to Jericho. I love what she says, it's in Joshua too. And she says, when she's talking to them, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings, the the Amorites who were with you on the other side of the Mm -hmm. Jordan, they were destroyed. And I love when she says, you know, our hearts melted 
neither did there remain courage in anyone because we know that you are God in heaven and on earth beneath. There was no social media. There's no cars to even drive to the next town, but God's majesty and his power and everything that he did was heard all throughout the land and all throughout the pagan nations. So I know that, that it's going to happen. It's just, I wonder for, for us as believers, what do we do? Do we entirely get off social media? You know, how do we handle this? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And this comes down to preparation. Um, So we, we know what's coming, especially with the new administration. If you've even spent a little bit of time reading about the Equality Act, you right, know the I Equality did. Act. Yeah, it's yeah. it's going to take mm-hmm. take away from basically the free speech of the church. And I told uh, my own church that this is where persecution will start. They're going to restrict our free speech, and then they're going to threaten persecution if you if you speak on anything they don't want you to to speak about. So so that's coming. And we know that if this continues to increase, and that's going to be their desire. I mean, we want to pray to God that he would protect us from that, or or even better, that he would bring salvation to our leaders and help them to see the truth. But if this continues to spiral downwards, and it very well could, we have to start thinking um, in the future and in what we're going to do. And I know for me personally, uh, for instance, I've taken a look at the technology I'm using, and I'm looking, I'm identifying the big tech organizations that I have been consuming a lot of in my life for years and years, and many other people as well. So I'm buying a lot less from Amazon. I'm trying to stay away from Amazon now, if I if I can completely. Um, I am establishing email accounts away from Google. So there is a email service called Proton Mail um, that provides uh, better security. Email will never be 100% secure, but I'd rather have it being stored by someone else than than Google at this point. Um, Facebook, I'm still using. Twitter, I'm still using. But Facebook, I'm no longer sharing personal information. I use Facebook primarily for spiritual tweets or, or posts, I should say, or information about what's going on. Like just today, I provided a screenshot both before and after the inauguration about the difference in headlines about how COVID death rate was rising at an all-time high. And then two days later, it says COVID has peaked. Right. Um, and that, that was both on NPR. So I posted that. Um, I posted about the American uh, Journal of Medicine and how they say that hydroxychloroquine is now a viable treatment option, because I think that's helpful for people to know, but it's also helpful for people to finally wake up and realize, wait a second, why is it suddenly viable now? Why are all these changes happening now? And we've seen, for instance, cities are now saying the lockdowns are no longer effective. We're going to lift the lockdowns and allow people to meet in restaurants. Washington DC is going to allow people to eat indoors. Yeah. So yeah, you have all this craziness, but how do we prepare for it? So we want to identify alternative services. I think you want to take a look at how you're consuming certain platforms, especially these big tech platforms and find alternative ways to do that. Now there will be a time coming in the future, and I don't know how soon that's going to be where we will have to completely wean ourselves off of it, or we may have to go to what we call completely encrypted uh, messaging apps, but it's not going to provide the same kind of functions and features that we have with Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. So I would say for Christians, you don't need to necessarily rush off of social media. You certainly can, if you want to, that's, you know, you have your freedom in Christ to do that. But my attitude towards social media is, well, as long as they allow me to be on that platform, I'm going to continue to proclaim truth. And I want to proclaim truth one, as an encouragement to other fellow believers who are also on that platform. Um, two, it's to build them up and to encourage them and help them to understand how the Bible actually tells us that things are going to get worse and that what we see around us is really just describing what the Bible says happens with unbelievers who hate God. 
Um, but three, also to just be able to reach out as possible to unbelievers, making sure that they continue to hear the word of truth, even as they reject it. And really at that time that they kick me off, well, then they'll, they'll kick me off. Um, so that's kind of my attitude towards social media. Different people have different approaches, um, but I do think that we need to start thinking forward about what we're going to do in the future. And even at a church level, you know, we have to start thinking about, hey, you know, at some point, if we want to stay faithful to God's word, the only way we may be able to do it is to meet underground. Um, so that that might be an option as well for churches. Exactly. I think that same thing. And that's wonderful, solid, practical advice. So I, I very much appreciate that. I'm going to be doing the same thing. As soon as I saw that new email of yours, I thought, okay, I'm going to be looking at that myself <laughs> right, because right. I want to have that same, I want to be prepared in that same way. What about downloading sermons to our, our, our computers? Internet might shut down church websites. And yeah, so that, I wonder about that. Would that? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a great question because there are um, a lot of churches upload their their sermons, and most of them, I would venture to guess, don't host it themselves. And by, by hosting it themselves, I mean they don't run their own server hardware and storage where they store it on, on site. It's usually not practical to do that. You want to upload it to a third-party provider who has much better reach um, around the nation or around the globe and can provide better performance and more storage at a lower price. And so I think most churches are probably doing that. And for instance, there's a company called Sermon Audio. Um, a lot of people will recognize that if you're used to up sermons and downloading them. Now, Sermon Audio is a Christian service, so I'm not worried about them being like Amazon, but I don't know who Sermon Audio is using for storage. Are they hosted by Amazon, right? Or they might be hosted by someone that right now is neutral, but in the future, so government regulations might make it impossible for, for them to do that, right? Right. It is a wise thing, perhaps, to maybe download your favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, start investing in, in your own uh, computer storage. Um, get mm -hmm. some large capacity hard drives if you want. And, and there are tools out there that allow you to download YouTube videos, tools that you can use. Just put in the address and it'll download the, the video for you. You can do that as as well. So there are options there. Vimeo, if it's on Vimeo, Vimeo will often give you a download option um, as well. So you want to be legal. You know, if, if someone has copyrights and they don't want you, you know, taking their material, or making a copy of it, you want to be sure of that ahead of time. But like, for instance, our church, I have no problems with anyone downloading our stuff. Agreed. So if you would just encourage, I think, believers that God's word is going to remain and in the book of Revelation, during the tribulation, the angels flying back and forth, proclaiming the gospel. When Jesus comes back, he's going to split the skies. There's no, none of this is going to be needed for people to know what's happening. But, but the, just the encouragement that scripture is going to last, that the Bible is going to last, that it has yeah. throughout history. I think back to when Paul was writing the letter of Philippians to the church in Philippi. Um, what's the situation? He's in prison. And obviously for people to recognize or hear that Paul's in prison, especially at that time, if you're a part of one of these Gentile churches, that would have been a cause for major concern because here you are, you've got the chosen apostle of Jesus Christ, the chosen apostle to the Gentiles, and he's in prison. What's going to happen to the churches? What's going to happen to, you know, the creation of new churches and all that. And one of the things that Paul says is that even though he's in prison, the gospel is not. The gospel continues to spread even while he's in prison. So in other words, the lesson there is that you can imprison the person, you can try to imprison the, the people, but you will never imprison the message. And so the message will, will spread regardless. And I think back to just a few years ago when Alice and I were in China, and I was 
preaching at uh, one of their churches and I was going through Psalm 110, you know, Psalm 110, the sure. Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And with translation, the sermon was going long, you know, because you have to give, you have to allocate the, about the same amount of time for translation that you would for the actual preaching. And I'd gotten about almost an hour and a half into the message. And the missionary who was there, he was, he was kind of going like this saying, you need to cut this short, right? And so I started to cut some corners, you know, I, I'm getting towards the end of the message. I'm cutting some corners in order to be able to wrap it up. And I wrapped it up. The message was over in an hour and a half in a long message. Like that, they are focusing on all the little details that I skipped that for most audiences, they wouldn't even recognize that I skipped anything. And <clears throat> that's an example of where you have people in China who are underground um, they can't use the normal means of communication. They, you know, their internet is greatly stifled. You can only access a few sites and only the sites that support Chinese propaganda or neutral marketing stuff. And, and here they are, they find ways to meet and not only do they meet, but they're hungry for the word. And so wow. God, we know that he is sovereign. We know that his word does not return void. And we know that in Romans eight twenty eight, God says he causes all things to come together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we recognize all the circumstances around us. And I just got through telling our church this, every circumstance that comes down comes by the sovereign hand of God, and he means it for good. He is at work. We just need to trust him. We don't know exactly how it's going to work. It's like Joseph being sold into slavery. And who knows, and who would have known that him being sold into slavery by his own brothers would have led to really the deliverance of the Israelites from famine and leading them into Egypt because Joseph would end up second in charge under Pharaoh and all that, that, that would happen. So we have all these biblical accounts and they're there to remind us that no matter what man tries to do, God's power cannot be contained. And that's exactly what we have in his word and his gospel. I love that. That's such a great charge. And I know the Genesis story and with Joseph is one of my favorites. Of course, the 50-20, what you That's meant for right. evil against me, God meant for good. Exactly. To bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. It's one of my absolute favorites. I love that you mentioned that. So just briefly, just a couple more things, you know, because I think about this and it's it's easy for me to get really angry yes. <laughs> at the injustice. And it's, yes. it's easy for me to get angry because we have lived, I, I've lived my entire life in America where free speech has always been taken for granted. Right. I know that other countries that has not been true. And I've always had this feeling that it might come to our shores for whatever reason. And so here it is, it's a spiritual warfare. And so we have to fight that battle, not to be angry and, you know, at the person because they're just following Satan. Honestly, their father, the devil, because that's that's really, that's really the truth. So they're putting, they're putting these voices down um, because it it is satanic wanting to suppress the conservative voice slash the, the Christian voice and the Bible. So um, Eki, just would you do two things, please uh, speak to the unbeliever that might be listening, that maybe is conservative, maybe sees all this stuff with free speech, et cetera, and wonders uh, what direction we're going and is fearful. So to the unbeliever, recognize that what's happening around us is not a surprise to those who understand the Bible. Um, The Bible is God's word. It is 100% true. We know that to be true. It's the only Bible of any religion where you have prophecies made about Jesus Christ, about a Messiah beforehand, And then we actually see historically that being fulfilled and writings coming after that. So we know it to be historically true. We know that everything around us is no surprise. The word of God and God himself and his word knows the human heart better than we do. 
And so what we see is really a result of the depravity of man. Um, we've had our run as a nation where we've experienced a great deal of success. And I would argue that a lot of that success has been because of the Judeo-Christian values that this nation was, was built upon. But ultimately that comes to an end and we have a new generation of people that no longer has any regard for those values. And not only that, but you see, and it's no coincidence that as the left continues to push, you're seeing more and more godlessness on that side, a complete denial of who God is or a complete recreation of God into something that is completely unjust. But we as Christians, we know that we have a greater hope coming in the future. Um, the Bible, I think of the apostle Peter, he says to set your hope completely upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we know that no matter what happens in this world, we have a hope that's awaiting us because Christ will return. He will have his victory. And when the eternal state comes, we will be in a much better place than, than at any time while we were in this uh, temporal place. So for you as unbelievers, recognize that the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Because there was only Jesus Christ, there can't be more roads to heaven. And Jesus Christ, he died on the cross in order to pay for your sins and my sins that we could not pay on our own and sins that you will have to stand in judgment for if you do not confess Jesus Christ. You see, when he died on the cross, he died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would confess him. And in exchange, he took on our sins and he gave us his righteousness. So that's the only way that Lynn, you can stand before God. That's the only way I could stand before God, because if you take Jesus Christ out, you and I are just as worthy of eternal damnation as anyone else. And Absolutely. that is true for everyone who has ever walked the face of this planet, except for Jesus Christ himself. So recognize this world is falling away. We can try to fight against it. We can try to bring truth in terms of what's happening really kind of on a secular level, like for instance, with things like hydroxychloroquine and whether further evidence comes out about election fraud, you know, those kinds of things, you can certainly fight that. But what we're seeing is that the tech companies, and by the way, it goes higher than the tech companies, right? So when we see the tech companies doing censorship, we realize that they're not operating independently that they're all marching to the same tune. That's right. And the American Journal of Medicine waits all the way until the start of 2021, 2021. And by the way, that article that talks about um, hydroxychloroquine was actually first published back in August of last year, but they didn't make it public until this month. It's not just the tech platforms, but there, it goes much higher and involves many, many entities. So for you as unbelievers, recognize that we not we may not be able to stand against this storm, but for us as Christians, it doesn't matter whether we can stand this storm or not. It only matters that we know Jesus Christ is coming back. And right. so for us, we can always take hope in that. And I tell, I told my church this, that even if times are getting dark, there's an opportunity for the light to shine bright within the church. And we have the opportunity each and every day. I mean, Romans 8, 28 says all things come together for good. But verse 29, as you know, says that there's a purpose behind this. And the purpose is that for us as believers, we become more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And so that really is our goal. It's not to bring about change, though we certainly hope to do that, but it's to continue to glorify God by proclaiming his truth, no matter how dark things get around us. So you as unbelievers, the only hope that you're truly going to find in this life is going to be through Jesus Christ, because as Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the father, but through me. Amen. That was a beautiful charge. And then just briefly, Eki, to the and you've, you've kind of interwoven that. I appreciate that to the believer who's, who's afraid. I mean, we're looking yes. down, we're looking, 
we're looking to what's coming and we know what the Bible says. We are prepared for it in a sense, but then at yes. the same time, there's those boots on the ground, uh, hope that we need to have and that sure and steadfast trust in, in Christ. So just maybe a word about that. You know, I'm finding a whole lot of uh, comfort in the minor prophets, yes. Habakkuk and Amos and Micah yeah, and, right. and I'm reading them and I'm thinking, wow, these guys, even though I know they were speaking to Israel and that was for that time period. And I understand that God was doing different things as it related to the Jewish people and to Israel. It really is amazing the it way is. that they, the things that they were talking about. I mean, injustice on every level of government and disobedience to God and a godless nation and the whole thing. I mean, it's as though they're talking today. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think a lot of what we're seeing in the rebellion of the Old Testament matches a lot of what we see today. Yes. But even if you read through the book of Acts, you will see at multiple places where the disciples of Jesus Christ actually rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he talks about the fact that it has been given to you by grace. And the word is granted. It says it's been granted. But in the Greek, it's the same word as grace in a verb format. It has been given to you by grace, not only to believe in him. So when we think about grace, we think of our salvation. But verse 29 says it's been given to you by grace, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake. And so this is an opportunity for us to glorify God. And God is using this, as I said, in Romans 8, 28 and 29, he's using these circumstances for the purpose of making us more like Christ. We tend to be very babyish when it comes to trials and difficulties and dark times. But we tend to forget that that's exactly how we grow spiritually. That's and right. so for us now, this is our time to shine bright for Christ, to stand strong for Christ. And we want the world to be able to see that our attachments are not here in this world. It is also a test for us. I mean, when Peter talks about in 1 Peter 1, he talks about how the, the, our faith, which is tested by fire, you know, more, more valuable than gold, right? Though tested by fire is going to result to the praise and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is really our faith. Now it's going to come under fire. It's going to be refined. It's right. going to be made bitter. And for those of us who are in Christ, we're going to grow as a result of this. And we're actually going to give greater glory because the world will see ultimately that our hope is not here, but it's in the future and it cannot be shaken. It can never be shaken. And so as things get darker and darker, that's where hope is going to come. When they look at you and they look at me and we realize, they realize that we still have our contentment in Christ. That's Philippians chapter four, verses 11 through 13, when Paul talks about how he has found the secret to contentment, that in all things, um, whether he has little or whether he has much, um, he knows that he can do all things through God who strengthens him. That is absolutely true. I do think it's going to be a huge uh, opportunity for us because it does show the difference between the world and Christians that we don't, we, or, you know, that's how God refines us. We don't hold to what we have here. Our faith is not in the right. white house. It's in right. God and God alone. In Acts five, when Gamaliel was talking to the council and yes. the men, you know, he says, leave these men alone for if the plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. Amen. But yeah, if right. it is, is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. So all people that are fighting against the message of the gospel and God, I mean, that's, that's who they're fighting against. All the people yep. that are trying to suppress the truth are fighting their battle against God almighty and Amen. they're not going to win. <laughs> that's right. We know how this is going to end. We know how it's going to end. Yeah. And that is, that. that's very comforting. So this has been absolutely wonderful and terrific. Eki, thank you so much for My pleasure. being a part of this podcast and um, just, yeah, shoulder to shoulder, we will continue to fight the good fight.
Amen. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you.